Welcome back to episode two with Shola Kay. Uh, Shola, just fantastic uh, hearing about your background and how you got into the the area of um, empathetic leadership um, and inclusive leadership. Um, so it was fantastic to hear your your background. Um, and I'd love you just to chat to our listeners now about some practical. Um, advice and guidance. So if you look at the workplace now, I, you know, I'm hearing all the time and we're hearing from recruiters, you know, they're looking for employees and leaders that have different skill sets now. So while you might come out of college with a great degree, um, you're hearing more and more employers saying, well, that's nice, but do you have, you know, I, I need you to really know Google Analytics. You know, I, I, know, I love the fact that you got this fantastic MBA, but I also need this now. And, you know, I like the fact that you've managed big teams, but do you know how to be empathetic? Do you, so we're seeing more of these skills coming in and, and some of them are soft skills that are not necessarily skills you go to university to be trained in um, and there's various reasons why we're seeing that I mean one is you know the global shift since the pandemic uh, the other one is technology advancement in in the workplace so there's a lot of shifts going on um, but what advice would you give to somebody going into the workforce for the first time or somebody changing jobs that are now going to go sit in a job where they're being asked for different things like are you an empathetic leader? Do you understand how to manage people? How do you put that on a CV? How do you prove these soft skills when going to sell yourself in, in the job market today? Yeah, it's, it's a, a tough one, to be perfectly honest. And I think that there's no um, easy answers to that. I, I was lucky enough to run a few roundtables um, last year with different HR leaders, I think 15 different HR leaders from international organizations. And one of the questions that I put to them was, well, you know, how do people demonstrate that they are empathetic as leaders? Because um, I've talked to recruiters directly who've said, yeah, we are now being asked, give us empathetic candidates. So um, nobody really has like a, their finger directly on this one. But as I say, I've discussed it with a few people. Um, I've had some executives say, well, it's, it's almost impossible to show on a CV that you're empathetic. So it has to come out when you're doing some sort of situational interview uh, where perhaps, you know, you're being asked to talk about a scenario, what you would have done, you know, et, et cetera. Uh, I've had other HR leaders talk to me about um, evidence of things like volunteering or um, showing that you are actively involved in sort of community groups um, and particularly getting involved in communities that are different than your own, because of course then, you know, the more um, you're exposed to groups that are different than yourself, the more empathy, empathy you'll develop, because obviously it's easier to be empathetic towards people who've got the same background as us, who have been through the same sorts of things, but a lot harder if it's somebody with a different uh, language or culture or whatever. So um, evidence of those sorts of things on a CV can help. Um, even things like taking training is hard because you, you could sit and watch tons of training on empathy, but when it comes to being practically em empathetic with a colleague or a report, it might still be elusive to you. So I think it's, it's definitely something that we're still looking at. And it's interesting because um, if we look at LinkedIn and every year they, they publish the list of the top five or 10 most in demand soft skills, right? 
And um, sort of five years ago, it was things like communication and punctuality. And then if we look at now, it's things like um, collaboration, adaptability and emotional intelligence. And as mm. you know, empathy is part of emotional intelligence. So it's definitely something that employers are looking for. But, but they might say, oh, we, we bring us an emotionally intelligent candidate. But I think no one yet knows how. Yeah. And then everyone <laughs> sits there looking true. blank going, OK, how do I? How do I prove to you that this person's emotionally intelligent, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think this comes down to something we touched on in, in episode one, which is your work life and your personal life are so much more connected now, where before we'd go to work, you know, nine to five, and then we'd switch off Ros at work and we'd be Ros at home, you know, and it really, this is the same link to brands. You know, if you look at like a brand, if I have to use an example, it's one thing saying, you know, I give fine, I give X percent of my revenue every month to the, you know, World Economic Forum sustainable goal number four. You know, I hand that over. CSR used to be like that. You know, the, C the CSR department used to fund you know, impact initiatives, but now it's more about actually are you doing something? You know, it's not, it's not even a, a case of just handing money over it's actually are you a brand that really walks the walk and talks the talk and it's the same as an individual you know sitting in an interview or sitting in a job you can say but actually are you doing and I suppose that comes out in discussion you know that comes out in how you you know you deal with people in the booking process for your interview you know the the whole thing is actually investing in you, you know, investing in yourself and those around you, not only at work, it's a, it's becoming more of a lifestyle, right? That you then bring those skills into the workforce in an, in an authentic way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think in the same way, as you say, you know, we, we can learn things from home and bring them to work, but we can also learn things at work and, and take them home. And mm. when I uh, do keynotes on empathy, I give people a framework for being more empathetic. And I've had people connect with me on LinkedIn and say, oh, uh, you know, can't wait to get home. My wife and I have been having problems and I'm going to use this framework to open up the conversation <laughs> and move things forward. Or someone said, um, oh, my, my adult um, child, you know, we've been sparring for ages and we, I, I tried this empathy thing and we had the best conversation we've had in years. So, you know, I think it, and, and, and likewise, you can try these things out at home and then bring them in and say, yeah, that, that tool really works. Let me try that now with my direct report. So I think, as you say, there is this kind of blurring of lines between work and home. But I think that's good because if we're talking about people being more authentic, more transparent, this, this idea of the work self and then the home self, it's, it's sort of starting to go away. And I think it's good. You know, it's an excellent thing if your work and home self is somebody who is transparent, uh, authentic, open, etc. And it means that you've got a bit of work to do if you're somebody who can relax and be, you know, easy around your friends, but then you come to work and you kind of zip yourself up um, mm. into that kind of suit and you get all stiff and, uh, you know, formal, uh, because that is not really the kind of leader that most organizations are looking for at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah. And if we ever look at the type of leaders, you know, you get different types of leaders that make them successful. So, you know, we have leaders that foster an understanding of change 
as a mindset versus a destination, because change is not something that happens to you. I mean, you are always in an environment of constant change. I mean, even if you look at your, your iPhone, you know, your apps have, you know, updated overnight, your apps are not the same yesterday as they were today. We're living in a world that's just changing all the time. And I think, you know, a leader that, that, that understands that is usually more successful. But one thing, one of the, the leadership traits I, I wanted to dive into with you is this leader that is a liberator from fear and failure. And I think this is really where empathy comes in, because a lot of times people would see empathy potentially as a, a weakness versus a strength. And this comes down to our personal fears, right, of being feeling exposed or feeling too vulnerable. Like, let's chat a little bit about that from a senior leadership perspective. You know, what are you seeing with leaders in this area? And what advice would you give to leaders to, to overcome this? Because really a lot of what holds us back in life and in work is fear, right? Mm, yeah, very true. And um, it's interesting because I'm designing a training right now for a utility company in the USA, and uh, it's going to be for their uh, sort of senior executives and directors and one of the things that we're talking about is obviously this this hybrid environment the what's happening now is we kind of negotiate sort of going back to work how are we more inclusive as leaders etc and part of that is really just cultivating a mindset of experimentation and saying well at the moment we are all in uncharted territory so if you're somebody who has to get it right then the likelihood is you're going to either be bound by fear and you won't take the sort of action that you're required to take now, which is bold and brave, um, or, you know, it will, it will just lead to kind of this sort of very brittle behavior. And um, so really leaders need to be, uh, embrace this idea of learning agility, um, trying things out, you know, experimenting, let's try this for the next week, month, six weeks, two months, or, or even having a, a huddle with the team and saying, right, you know, this is where we want to get to, what ideas do you have that we can take things forward? So, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes encounter leaders who they, they don't want to talk to their teams. They, they want to kind of come along with this solution that's really perfect. Mm. And yes, team, this is what we're going to do next. Whereas the leaders who will actively recruit their teams in terms of, well, this is the outcome we need. What do you need for us to reach this particular outcome? Uh, what can I contribute to make sure that this happens? How can we iterate and make sure that things improve on a regular basis or whatever? Um, even putting together this idea of the team manual, you know, how do people work best together? Uh, what, what are the, 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 the ideal conditions uh, who's available at which time, etc. So even mm. things like putting together a team manual, it requires a certain amount of self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to sit down, know yourself well enough as an individual and a team, what makes you tick? What do we not know yet? Um, and so if you've got a leader who can manage a team at that sort of level, with the uncertainty that comes from, you know, this kind of experimentation mindset, then I think you're more likely to... to get some real highs as your results than somebody who's kind of fear-based, well, let's just do what we know, just play it safe and, then, and hope for the best. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think as you say, this, this kind of idea of fear and failure, we've got to kind of push it to one side. And, and of course, you know, the, the look at it as learning and, and, and continuous improvement. Yeah. And I think also the pace of life has sped up so much with technology. So, you know, one of the things, 
I've observed in the last few years and in, in my own leadership style is actually you've got to move faster, which means you are going to make more mistakes, okay, because you've just got to go. You don't always have time to get you know, it 100% pinned down where I think in the old days or an older mindset, not in terms of age, but a more traditional mindset is, you know, as you say, a leader's got to come with the answer because that's what leaders do. You know, they should, they know what to do, but actually it's more empowering for a team when the leader says, hey guys, we're all in this together. We're figuring it out together. You know, I'm going to guide you, but I want to hear from you because we're all people, right? We all want to be heard. We all want to be seen. And actually it, it, we all succeed together or fail together. So I think, you know, there is definitely that shift of it. Actually, it's more empowering when a leader asks their teams to lead because you're trusting people and you're hearing them and you're seeing them. And um, we're talking to a wonderful group of women on gender diversity. And one of the things, you know, I've been saying and, and we, we're talking about is diversity comes everywhere. You know, it's gender, it's race, it's disability. And it all comes down to people just wanting to be seen and heard, right? And I think at the end of the day, if you look at um, staff members or people, it's not the fact that you're going to make a mistake. It's how do you react to that mistake and then move on, right? So are you seeing this in terms of the changing mindset leaders have to have in terms of the way they handle themselves? Because I think that's the hardest part is that introspective look at yourself. Mm. Yeah, and this sort of comes back a little bit to emotional intelligence, because one of the areas of emotional intelligence is we talked about empathy, but self-awareness is another. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that of those five um, aspects of emotional intelligence, self-awareness and empathy are the two most important ones for leaders. So it, it does require some soul searching. And there are a lot of leaders out there who are just used to command and control. Um, I'm not going to look within. What I do is perfectly fine. Yeah. I was talking to a friend yesterday. Like a good old, like a good old narcissist, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a friend yesterday who'd left her company and moves on because the leader that she was working for was somebody who said, right, you need to be telling people what to do. This, this idea of asking and getting to know people, forget it, you know, and she just had to move on. She couldn't stay in that environment. So, so I think we are gonna see, and, and obviously in such a tight labor market, we're gonna see people asking to move departments. We're gonna see people saying, right, I need to leave this company. There are plenty of options for me. Um, and in fact, when I was doing this work on um, the white paper and interviewing a bunch of um, HR leads, some of them were talking about putting together business cases uh, based on seeing the amount of attrition and, and sort of people leaving the teams of these senior leaders who are command and control, telling people what to do, not listening. And that is some of the that's one of the ways that they're trying to argue that we do need a, a different kind of leader because of the, the cost that's involved. Uh, both sort of personal and sort of financial when you've got leaders who, who don't want to listen, not no self-awareness whatsoever, and they just want to cling to the old ways. Mm. And what do you think's changed in people? Because again, a few years ago, people were more hesitant to just say, well, this is not working for me, I'm leaving. You know, I mean, people would hang on to their jobs. Um, but now we are seeing people far more, you know, you use the term self-aware. This doesn't work for me. I'm going to move on. Why have people got more brave? Why do you think people have got more, um, you know, that this environment needs to work for me as a whole person, not just for a salary check? What's changed? 
Mm. Well, I think the pandemic has has had so much to do with that because people have started to question, is this the way that I should be living? Is it enough just to just get my head down, just do the best job I can and endure, you know, whether it's horrible bosses, horrible colleagues, whatever, tough working conditions, just to get some money. And then in the short amount of time you've got, obviously, to kind of live and enjoy that, is it is it worth it? Or should I be looking at the, in a more holistic way to make change? So I think that has spurred on a lot of um, sort of pondering and um, reflection among many people. And then, of course, the pandemic has, has brought on this, you know, the, the great resignation and the sort of fighting to get good employees and, and, and people can, that can do the work. So I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of things happening right now that are, are making people just, just rethink the way that they've been working over the last few years. And um, I, it's, it's tough for some organisations, but I think the ones that are ready to address their kind of legacy patterns of, of, of doing things and come out the other side. I think there'll be employees, employer, employees who are loyal and who see changes happening and want to sort of stick around and, and see the outcome. And then of course, there'll be new people coming in who like what they see and are prepared to kind of go in and, and, and this changed organization. Yeah. And it's just some, again, practical um, guidance for our listeners. What sort of research is out there that you would direct our listeners to because, you know, in companies, you've got very different types of people in leadership and you've got to bring the leadership, the management team along this journey. So it's like saying to a company that's a bit more traditional, we need to spend a little bit more time on our people, on empathy, on inclusivity, you know, and some companies just get it and they've got a very visionary team that are emotionally aware and they go. Other companies will go, well, hang on, you know, we need to hit our numbers and, um, you know, this is nice, but we don't have huge amounts of time to spend here. What areas would you send leaders to to say, hang on, here's some very specific research that we, that's coming out in the market to show you know, in terms of company profitability, um, you know, productivity, like these are the shifts that are happening in the workforce. And if you do not address them, you know, we are going to slow down as a business. So while we're trying to hurry up and not spend time on empathy and, and feelings and people, actually, this is going to be our Achilles heel. You know, is, are there areas you would direct leaders to to say, go and grab these resources if you are trying to you know, share with your leadership team the importance, you know, of this inclusive, empathetic shift in the workplace. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. I mean, you, I'll probably name nothing new. So the usual suspects. So McKinsey has got some great stuff that's out on a regular basis. You know, you can get something from them every day. And then there's also sort of longer reports that help with this, you know, in terms of retention and um, sort of profitability. Of course, you know, HBR, they've got a whole bunch of things you can look. Um, and often when I'm doing research to put together sort of new keynotes or kind of new trainings for my clients, you know, I might start with some of that because, of course, it helps with the credibility. If you can say, well, this study on HBR or from McKinsey says this, why don't we try X, Y and Z? So I would definitely say that those are really obviously trusted sources um, to go to, to to start with your research. And then try and get some stories as well, you know, talk to the people at your organization, um, try and um, sort of soften the data a little bit with some sort of anecdotal evidence from, from, from known sources at your organization. And I think that combination of a bit of storytelling with some numbers as well can be really powerful. 
Mm -hmm. And I think just also putting on the agenda of exec management teams, because, you know, I've sat in many and they're all very focused on the numbers and the targets that are hit and all that, but actually, you know, be it once a month or once a quarter, actually having a half an hour on what's the tone in the company, you know, how are people feeling? What are you hearing? Like, it's actually putting those soft skills onto the agenda as a profit driver as much as the numbers and the products are, right? Mm, yeah, I was talking to an exec the other day, and he was, you know, the idea of management by walking around, which of course, we can't really do now if we're in these environments yeah. where, you know, so, so how do you do that? And it might be at the beginning of a meeting where you ask people to pop into the chat, you know, rate how you're feeling about this project from one to 10, or put a word in um, that uh, tells us, you know, how you're feeling, or even red, yellow, green, you know, just to kind of get yeah. people thinking and stimulate some of this kind of honesty that that then leads to empathy uh, that then leads to kind of change so they're, they're you know the very small things as we know most execs are super busy and you know they, they, they might not have a lot of stomach for talking to everybody and and because of hearing long-winded stories about what's going on but yeah. something really short and pithy like that one word in the chat what's happening and then that can serve as a catalyst for for next yeah action. yeah and I always use um, a leader that I love, a gentleman called Vinod Kumar. He's the CEO of Vodafone uh, Business Globally. And uh, I worked for Vinod for years. One of the things I loved about him is he would walk, walk the halls. You know, whether we were in London or Singapore or India, Vinod was always flying around the office like you could see him. And, and uh, he was on our podcast a few months ago. And behind him was a frog and an elephant uh, stuffed toys. And I said to him, what on earth is this? Like, have your kids left their toys in your, your study? And he said, no. He said, I always have this elephant. It's a stuffed toy. I take it into every meeting. And um, I keep it at the back of my Zooms because I always encourage my team, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Before we get off the calls, guys, is there anything no one wants to bring up? We need to talk about, I'm opening up that culture in the company and I want you to talk about the difficult things. So I think even though we're not present, there are still some fun, quirky, little leadership things that make you laugh and realize your leader is also a human being and a person, right? Mm, great story. I love that. I'll have to look for my <laughs> own uh, elephants picture. <laughs> so Shona, I want to just close off the session with one qu uh, question to you, which is how can leaders become more self-aware? What is a practical tip you would give to a leader to say this would really help you with your own self-awareness? Mm. I would do things like think of the last time that you got angry or think of the last time you were frustrated or think of the people on your team who um, perhaps kind of trigger you a little bit and then start to think about why, you know, think because it's easy to say, well, you know, most people don't do that. But you've got to start thinking about well, what, what triggers you? What is it that kind of makes you behave not at your best? What is it that makes you behave at your best? And it's, it's really about reflecting perhaps on some of the scenarios that you've been uh, dealing with over the last period of time. What has been your response? What would your desired response be? How did you behave differently than that? Why? Um, so self-awareness, it's not an easy thing to develop, quite honestly. Another thing you can do is talk to your team. Uh, ask them, you know, wh wh where, where am I at my best? 
where do you see that I can improve? Um, and and again, from most from most leaders, that's really really hard. That's like the gold mm. in the throat. Like, oh, oh, can I? Yeah. Oh. I don't want to hear what I'm doing <laughs> wrong, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but though, if you've got a, some some trusted people that you can ask, then that's great. Um, you could even, if you really dared, to open it up and make it anonymous and have people mm. fill out a survey. You know, if you're really feeling brave, because they will tell you. They will tell you. And um, really, that's the kind of level of self-awareness that's required if you really want to then be be somebody who can be transparent, who can be authentic because you've done the work. And it's the people yeah. that haven't done the work that are afraid, they're brittle, they, they're worried, you know, you might, you're worried that they might snap if something happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, that's, that's the work that's required. Yeah, and that just comes down to open communication, right? And creating a safe space. So if you're going to ask people for feedback, create the culture that the safe the place is safe and even if the feedback comes back that's negative it's not negative it's there to help you improve because you've created that safe space to say share with me and I'm not going to get upset (laughs) you know and I love the anonymity about it as well because I think then it just really gives people the opportunity and that's the same in any relationship right a marriage a child a mother like if you are not creating that space for open communication you never really go deep with another individual Shola thank you very much that was fantastic and um, I'm looking forward to having you back for our final and third uh, episode where um, I'm going to ask you to share some of your resources um, and having a look at uh, you know materials you use yourself and where you could direct our our guests to 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 learn a bit more and just to share a few practical final tips with them so thank you very much and we'll see you back in episode three so